Kia ora and welcome to the first episode of Aotearoa Unearthed, a podcast about New Zealand archaeology for everyone. I'll be your host for this podcast, so let me introduce myself. My name is Rosemary Baird and I'm a public and oral historian at Heritage New Zealand Pohiri Tonga. Although I'm not an archaeologist, I work alongside them at Heritage New Zealand and I'm fascinated by their work. This podcast is really a chance for me to ask archaeologists all the questions I've ever wanted. Archaeology is this amazing window into everyday life of the past. Rubbish, food, clothes, waste disposal, toys, death, art and more. Each episode I'll interview an archaeologist about their work. We'll have regular sections such as show and tell about an artefact, digging deep where the archaeologist can really get into the nitty gritty of their practice, and a question from a kid or a listener where we find out what it's like to be an archaeologist. It's my hope that if you're a New Zealander, this podcast will give you a sense of connection to the people who went before you, who made our country. So our first guest for the podcast is Catherine Watson, who is going to talk to us about European drains and toilets in colonial Christchurch. Catherine is a very experienced archaeologist. She had a large archaeology company in Christchurch that did heaps of work post-quake. And since then, she's moved on and is now doing her doctorate at the University of Canterbury in archaeology. She's also been the president of the New Zealand Archaeological Association. And I'm really happy to talk to her today. I've done lots of projects with Kat, and she's an amazing person who loves to share about archaeology with the general public and anyone who's interested. So to start things off, Catherine, can you just tell me, how would Europeans have gone to the toilet in colonial Christchurch? Well... (laughs) So early on in that phase, that early phase of Pākehā settlement of Christchurch, they would have dug a hole in their backyard, really, um, a privy, if you like, or a long drop. You know, there are still long drops in rural New Zealand, or if you go tramping, at long drops at huts. Um, in the house, they might have had a chamber pot that they used overnight, or if the weather was really bad, but it would have been pretty basic. I mean, obviously, the, the long drop or the privy would have been a little shed to protect you from the weather. It wouldn't have been too far from the house, because if you're stumbling out there in the middle of the night and it's raining or snowing or, you know, imagine a Christchurch frost, so you don't want to be too far away. But you also don't want to be too close because of the smell. And when do things start to change? It began to change really once the, the water closet became popular or accepted. The water closet form of a toilet was invented in the 18th century, but it really came to public attention in, the eight, in 1851 in the UK with the Great Exhibition. What is a water closet? It's basically like a toilet today. It's a toilet that's flush away. <laughs> yeah. You need to have drains to go alongside it. You need to be able to flush into a sewerage system, so that's another critical component. And in Christchurch, we had that from about, well, from 1882. I can tell you that by 1884, Christchurch had 293 water closets. So that's two years after the sewerage wow. system had been... Connected. Do you think they were quite an expensive item, sort of middle class? or? Yeah, I would think so. I would think it would be like most things, they'd start off with the upper classes and then percolate down. And actually when I looked at in Papers Past and the advertisements in there, which is just such a rich source of data, there were water closets available in New Zealand from like, the 1840s. And, I mean, there are, there are descriptions that you come across of people using buckets of water to flush, you know, the poos and pee away. And I think there is a th- there's something else that I find interesting that happens is obviously when you've got... The long drop pit, it's, you know, as I described, it's at a distance from the house. But once you move to the water closet, it, the toilet becomes part of the house. Well, I guess it would influence house design, wouldn't it? Because you'd suddenly need a room for a water closet. Yes, yeah, that's right. And, it's, and it would typically be 
originally, originally, when they first came to the house, it would be at the rear of the house because that's where you've got the kitchen and all those other kind of service rooms rather than the public rooms. But there's also that uh, more practical element. And actually, this house is a classic example of it because you've got to pipe the water into the house and you've got to pipe it through the house to get it to different to get it to all the rooms where it might be used. So in this house, there, which is 1911, there are three toilets, but they're all in rooms next to each other because the water only comes to the back of the house. It doesn't go anywhere else in it. So is that really kind of practical component yeah. as well. And I also wondered, what did people use to wipe their bottoms? Did they use toilet paper or...? Yeah, I looked into this. <laughs> and so toilet paper was actually... The Chinese invented toilet paper way back in the 14th century, um, but it doesn't become a mass market or a, a mass-produced item until the 19th century, as with so many things. And the first brand of toilet papers was some Gayette's toilet paper. Um, and I had a look through the paper's past advertisements, and it's available in New Zealand from 1876. That was more folded sheets of toilet paper. What we think of as the rolls of toilet paper with perforations in it so you can rip off. That becomes a thing, and I think it was the 1880s, and certainly about 1880, there are lots and lots of ads in the newspapers for toilet paper. They weren't using any euphemisms anymore. So now we get to the archaeology part of it, which is what is it actually like to excavate a long drop? It can be pretty exciting. <laughs> and I say that because... Long drops were often, once they were abandoned, either because they were full or because the house had been connected to the sewerage system with a flushing toilet, people often use them to throw rubbish out. And so they can be, they can be chock full of domestic rubbish. From all of that rubbish, you can then tell stories or learn more about what the people in the house were doing and eating and drinking and what their lifestyle was like. So that's, that's really fantastic to find. Often at the bottom, though, there's a kind of, there's a layer of, decayed organic matter which is just kind of thick and sludge-like and disgusting not in the sense that you know that it's toilet matter like fecal waste and the like but more just because it's really thick and just impossible to get off your trowel you've actually got to scrape it you, you, know, you scrape with your trowel and then you've got to scrape your trowel off on something to get it off it's does it smell no not bad not particularly yeah and you get what they tend to be um the way you can distinguish a long drop or a pivy pit from any other kind of rubbish pit is they tend to be rectangular with very straight sides uh, and a flat base to them. And relatively deep, I suppose, compared to a rubbish pit. Not always. So how deep would a long drop on average be? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head, but at least a metre. You know, I guess if you're going to go to the trouble of digging it, you want it to last a reasonable amount of time before you fill it in and dig another one. And what do you find inside these rubbish long drop pits? <laughs> well, all kinds of domestic waste, really. You know, people throw out plates and bottles and glasses, shoes, um, and, and some things have obviously like that have been deliberately thrown out, but you also get things that have possibly fallen or out of a pocket or dropped in when somebody's been using it. So buttons you think could have, you know, could have been ended up in there that way, or uh, coins you often think might have been an accidental deposit in there. And also clay pipes, which were quite, they're highly disposable items. So you can imagine if somebody's been having a quick smoke and then they go to the toilet and then they just chuck it in afterwards. I guess there would have been bones and things like that, mm -hmm. animal bones, food waste um, that would have gone in as well. But just all your standard domestic rubbish, really, the kind of thing we'd send off to the recycling now or the rubbish pit. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when you find one of these long drops, do you know it's going to be there from a plan or you just come across it randomly? In my experience, mostly we've come across them randomly, um, but there are certainly, if you look at the, there's an 1877 plan of central Christchurch, 
and it shows houses and it shows often shows small outbuildings there were that were obviously long drops or outdoor toilets so you know that there must have been one there but most often no they're just a, a random discovery what's surprising is the number of sites that don't have them really so i know you've mentioned something about night carts what are they so night carts came around and collected the night soil which was the euphemism for toilet waste basically what I found really interesting is that in Christchurch, from 1886, there was actually a night soil tram that, <laughs> that oh was a special, a special tram that came around, went around between midnight and 6am, and it would, they would collect your night, your night soil and then take it out to the night soil reserve, which was out by the estuary. And one of the things that occurs to me about that is that when you start spreading night soil on a reserve next to the estuary, and that's all on sand, that that waste is even going, I imagine, I'm no... Um, hydrologist, but I imagine that waste is going to end up percolating into the estuary, and that's, so that's the beginning of that process of pollution of the estuary by European settlers. Mm. So while it was a convenient place to dispose of that waste, it obviously had some, it was, well, beginning of some long-term ramifications mm. in terms of the health of the estuary and the use of that estuary as food and a source of mahingakai by Māori. Gosh, it's amazing we're just looking at one thing like toilets can take you to sort of transport, you know, treating waste, house design. Yeah, and that, that's the joy of archaeology. <laughs> or, but any, I mean, any, any study of the past is like that. You know, those things are all kind of connected. Now we come to the section which we call show and tell, which is where you tell us about one particular artefact and describe it to us and we would have found it. Under where the new Christchurch Justice and Emergency Services precinct was, there was a long drop that was excavated there. I didn't excavate it, but one of my team at the time did. And within that, he found a, basically a child-sized um, chamber pot. It's not, it's not half the size of an adult one, but it's definitely smaller and it's, very, it's plain and white. I have this, this vision in my mind of a, that it would have been a child's chamber pot and they'd probably been told to go out and empty it, empty their pot, into the, or the potty, into the, into the long drop and perhaps dropped it by mistake <laughs> and, then, and then just left it there because there's no way you're going to go in and get it back. <laughs> Sounds like something you might have to use your pocket money to replace. Yes, quite possibly. <laughs> and we also have a section called Digging Deep, which is where you tell us about something in detail that we might not know. And I think you were going to talk to us about why drainage systems were so important for public health. Yes, because they, well, it's so topical right now, because they pre prevented the spread of disease, basically. And Christchurch had terrible problems in the, in the 1870s, I suppose, once the, once the level of that European settlement got to a certain point. There's a number of factors contributing to this, and one of which is that we have, the city has quite a high water table, and also water... The city's drinking water, by and large, came from under the ground. They'd have a well in their background, backyard, they would tap into an aquifer, and they, that was where their water would come from. But that also meant that there was a lot of pollution or cross-contamination from rubbish pits that had been dug into the ground and long drops. In faecal matter, if you think about um, diseases like cholera and typhoid, so somebody with those diseases might go to the toilet, and then the contaminants or the bacteria from that spreads and spreads into the water supply and therefore the disease spreads mm. um, and Christchurch had a really high death rate as a result of that um, in the 1870s and one of the solutions put forward for this was to establish a good sewerage and drainage system to control this and prevent that contamination of the groundwater basically. So was Christchurch quite early in getting a drainage system? 
it was unusual because it got a drainage system before it got a water supply system. So the city didn't get a water supply system until 1909 because of all that groundwater. Yeah, unlike most cities, it, which got that water supply system much, much earlier on, it got a drainage system because it had these problems with it. So now I've got a question from a kid uh, for you, Kat, and this came from Leo, who's a Year 7 and 8 student, and he asked, what place do you never want to dig again and why? I thought it was such an interesting question. <laughs> and it made me think, I mean, there, I couldn't name one, to be honest. I mean, that would be with a short answer. To me, they've all been interesting in different ways because you can learn different things and there's always that thrill of discovery, I suppose, that of what's going to be in a rubbish pit or a long drop or what particular, what you might find under the ground. And I was trying to think what might make a site one that I didn't want to go back to. And it would probably be one where the weather was horrendous, I suspect, where it was just the whole experience was awful. But in general, the archaeology is always interesting in some way. But I guess that's an interesting point about the weather, because when you do your work, you're not covered or... Well, these days, fortunately, you know, there are all those shelters around now and they get used a lot on archaeological sites. And they are, to be honest, they're a life changer in terms of making, just cooling things down a bit. But, I mean, I've excavated in snow. That wasn't particularly fun. Where did you do that? In Queenstown. Wow. <laughs> it wasn't much snow, but it was still definitely snow. And I, you know, I have rain as syndrome, so it's just not nice to, to be excavating those kind of conditions. And actually, the wind can be horrendous as well, especially if you're on a sandy site and it's just, it's just sand everywhere and things like that. But those shelters also mean you can work in light rain. You can't often work in heavy rain, but it's just you can't see what you're digging. But mm. yeah, but weather can be a big factor. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Catherine, for being my guinea pig on the first episode of Aotearoa Unearthed. Who would have thought that looking at just one topic, 19th century drains and toilets in Christchurch, could lead us to think about so many things, public health concerns, transport solutions for dispersing waste, house design, and more soberly to recognise colonial European misappropriation and misuse of Māori mahinga kai in the Christchurch estuary. This podcast is a joint production by Heritage New Zealand Pohiari Tonga and the New Zealand Archaeological Association. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to Aotearoa Unearthed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to send me any questions via the Heritage New Zealand or NZAA Facebook pages. Ka kite and thanks for listening.